So, it's a given that if you've worked hard to attain wealth or have wealth in general, that you're going to get first-class service that counts at a bank, right? Uh, hold on a minute. <laughs> Just like any other constituency, people who are wealthy sometimes have a huge problem getting personalized service on a digital platform. Enter Monument Bank with a revolutionary idea and action plan to change how things are done for affluent people. We'd also like to add that this podcast was recorded a week after Monument received its full license. Congratulations to the Monument team. And today on the podcast, we have John Saunders, the Chief Commercial Officer, and Connor McDermott, the Head of Lending for Monument. The two Ds have them here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. to mystify show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dar Mystery. Demystify. Fabulous. Welcome to today's podcast. And today we have John and Connor from Monument. John, Connor, would you like to introduce yourselves and then perhaps we can get into understanding a bit more about Monument and what Monument's trying to do? Perfect. Thank you. And thanks for having us, David and Damesh. That's really kind of you and happy to be here. So briefly, by way of introduction, I'm John Saunders. I joined Monument almost exactly two years ago to the day, actually, as Chief Commercial Officer there. I started out life as a solicitor in one of the big London law firms before moving to join the in-house legal team at UBS's investment bank many years ago. And a few years later, I moved into the wealth management or private banking division of UBS. And I've been in private banking ever since in various roles at UBS, at Barclays Wealth, Coots and Deutsche Bank. And those roles have included building and running teams of private bankers, looking after high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, both in the UK and non-UK building propositions and offerings, and chief of staff and COO positions. So a fairly broad church of private bank experience. And I'll leave Connor to introduce himself. So thank you for that, John. It's great to have the opportunity to speak to you today, Dave and Darm. I head up the lending proposition here at Monument, having joined a few months before John. My background is I've been in the UK banking sector just over 17 years, and I started my career with the Royal Bank of Scotland during which time I picked up an extensive knowledge of the end-to-end credit risk cycle, including several years as a credit underwriter. So I think it was using this experience and more laterally, I've been focused on finding financial solutions for commercial clients and property investors. And before joining Monument, I helped establish and then headed up the specialist team at our but not Latham, the private bank. And my passion is about helping clients grow their property investments. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'll speak to you about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Just on the topic of Monument, I've kind of seen your name fit around for quite some time, at least I would say a couple of years. But I must profess, I don't know very much about you and I'm not sure how much other people do. So 
Would you mind just giving us an insight to what Monument's about, why you're different? Absolutely. So the project kicked off about three years ago, I'd say, and the vision was to create a new bank that's focused entirely on what we believe actually know to be a substantial but underserved community in the UK. So these are people like doctors, lawyers, accountants, other professionals, entrepreneurs, and certainly not least property investors. So successful, hardworking people, time poor people who have accumulated a certain level of wealth between the sort of 250,000 and 5 million levels. And naturally, they deserve and demand high quality services, including financial services. But our experience as a team and all the research we've done tells us that they really feel they get that level of service from their banks, which is a bit surprising because there are 4.8 million people in that segment in the UK, which is very large, and they control between them about 6 trillion of wealth and 200 billion of cash. So it's really, really big. So you ask yourself then, you know, why is such an economically significant group of people not being served? And it does seem a bit counterintuitive until you sort of look at the business models and the challenges faced by the incumbent retail slash premier and private banks, and it becomes a bit clearer. So in the short version really is that the premier offerings that are out there now are largely based on the retail capabilities of those banks. So it's the same infrastructure and the offerings are pretty much the same with a few added extras like insurance or the stuff that we're all familiar with. And the service element, unfortunately, has kind of declined over time and many people feel it's just simply not there. Technology has made great strides to enable service and perhaps we'll come back to that in a minute as to how we're using it. But the challenge for the incumbents is integrating that new technology into often a large and aging and super complicated infrastructure is really expensive and actually quite risky. So the risk reward equation doesn't necessarily work in favor of that. And then conversely, if you look at private banks, their models of relationship management, people-to-people relationship management, just can't scale. So they found themselves going higher and higher in terms of wealth levels. So unless you're at the top of that bracket that I talked about, 5 million-ish or more, And unless you're prepared to put pretty much all of that wealth with that bank, you're not really necessarily going to get the great experience that you want or that they, I'm sure, would like to give you. It just doesn't work. So it's really interesting. What's happened over the past few years is, if you like, there's a service and a focus gap that's opened up between the premier banks and the private banks with this segment. And that's just got wider over time. So the people we're talking about kind of feel a bit unloved, I think. And the word I often use is orphaned, effectively orphaned by those two. So we think there's a great opportunity to be entirely focused on that segment to the exclusion of others and build something really around their needs and requirements. It's really interesting because it feels like you've got a very definite focus on a particular group of people. It's been quite an exciting week as well for you because you've had a fairly big achievement. Yeah. So tell us about that. So you don't get a banking license easily in the UK, which is exactly how it should be. We're all, you know, safe as a result, hopefully. So we kicked off three years ago. Last week, we got our full unrestricted banking license, which I am told that that's the quickest anyone's gone through the process. Wow. So that's a testament to many things, not least the work. Congratulations. Well, thank you. (laughs) Clearly, it's the biggest milestone. It's a testament to all the work done by the team, to our shareholder support, to the board. It's a huge achievement, but sets us up now to get on with it and actually start darn, becoming a bit more visible and actually doing some business. So now we sort of pivot from a build the bank mentality to a run and develop the bank mentality. 
and we're really looking forward to getting out there and starting taking our savings in, which we can talk a little bit about how we do that differently. And of course, the lending is the other key plank of our initial product offering. We do have plans to develop more and interesting products and services. I'll keep my powder dry about that for a little bit, if you don't mind. But we think that there is absolute opportunity to do a lot more for this community than simply, in inverted commas, lending and savings. And that's part of the ethos about being all about the mass affluent community. So unlike, I guess, some of the other neobanks which have launched, you're not going out with a current account offering? No. The way that we express it was kind of value over volume. Right. So current accounts are a really good example of that. To successfully offer current accounts, you have to do them in the millions. And that's expensive. But more to the point, perhaps, is that we read somewhere recently that you're more likely to get divorced than move your main current account from one place to another. You might open other current accounts, but you'll always keep one primary account. And the fact is, if you believe that and see that to be true, and with the advent of open banking, which we will make maximum use of in the future, we know we will be able to expose people's other accounts in our Monument app and over time actually access and pay money from those accounts through the Monument app. So you get that visibility and transactionability from the Monument app for your other bank accounts. So we don't really think that opening current accounts is really what we should be spending our time and effort doing. I think sometimes it's difficult for people to realise how big an achievement getting a full banking licence actually is because what we see is a plethora of NEOs out there and, you know, the likes of people like Revolut don't have a full banking license no. as of yet, right? Yep. So when we see all of these names, we kind of think, oh, crikey, you know, getting a banking license must be quite easy. But actually, you know, what's happening is most of them are either not in the banking space at all and are just aggregated through open banking. Yep. Or like a Revolut, they've got an e-money license and they're allowed to take deposits up to a certain amount, £10,000, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're practicing to be a bank, right? through that capability. And then finally, there's less than 30 brand new banking licenses been issued by, you know, the government, and you're one of those. So yeah, well done. I was just kind of interested, you know, to understand what that really means in terms of unrestricted. Would you be able to kind of explain that a bit? Yes. So really simple terms, it means that we can raise deposits from the public, we can advertise and raise deposits from retail clients in the UK, as they're called, without a restriction. So we've actually been a bank for over a year now. But for that first year, you're restricted in what you can do. You can only take a very low aggregate number of deposits, £50,000. Then you have a period after that where you build out your systems and you prove to the regulators that everything works and is in place. And then you apply for that restriction to be lifted and then you're good to go. And so that last stage is the one that we achieved last Thursday. So we'll shortly be launching some savings accounts, which will be another big moment. Connor's already working on our lending as well. So we're looking to book our first loans very shortly. So it's all very exciting. Come quick, get in there. You might go. I mean, that's the other big thing, right, is that you're allowed to lend as well, right? Yeah, well, our lending actually technically is unregulated. Right, okay. So we're not doing residential mortgages to help people buy the houses that they live in. So we're doing buy-to-let, investment buy-to-let and bridging lending is our starting piece. We will look to do commercial real estate, but perhaps in a year or so's time when the markets calm down a bit. I think it's interesting because you've identified an audience, you know that they've got some wealth behind them. You've got some very focused products. I'm kind of really interested in the lending side of things. So it does sound like that's more about buy to let and people actually building up a portfolio. So 
what are the sorts of products that you'll be looking at in terms of customers you know we've had the high level but have you got any detail of the sorts of people that you're looking for can you add to that anything that you're doing differently as well because something has to change you know i'm moving my mortgage and i'm lowering the loan to value which means the bank takes less risk but because there's a gap between the buy and the sell i can't transfer my mortgage right so i can't transfer a mortgage when i'm lowering the risk for the bank that's just crazy to me are you going to be able to solve stuff like that at some point please <laughs> <laughs> thank you so look i think I'll put some context to give you some flavor to our lending. So as part of building the bank, our root is what are our community needs? So we surveyed over 2000 people that John mentioned in this community, people like doctors, lawyers, accountants, and a recurring theme was the continued appeal of properties and asset class to this community. So 78% of these people either had active investments in property or they were very interested in investing in the sector. So. We took a step back and we analyzed further what was the direction of travel in the property investment space and particularly in the buy to let space because this is the core area of focus and how we can have alleviate some of those pain points and what was clear was the sector is becoming increasingly professional and some of that's true choice and some of that's true regulatory requirements so darm your landlord you've probably seen your paperwork multiply tenfold in the last number of years combined with that we've also seen tax changes and actually there's a lot more people looking at how attractive a formalized incorporated entity is for this lending and it's something that you know not all banks do very well and we've set about building the bank to focus on that and you know focusing on that landlord who's seeking to retain and grow their property investments they typically have more than four investment properties or aspire to have more than four and generally we see that for acquisitions they now use limited company structures for future acquisitions they typically are structured through incorporated entities you know, the best way to serve this community is we've went about to hire the best. So we've built a team of experienced relationship managers and support, all of whom have deep experience in the UK property finance market and are passionate in delivering a better experience for experienced landlords. So I think that kind of serves everything that we do. Immediately, you're kind of thinking there's a lot of added value that can be offered these people beyond simply providing mortgages. So you are going to be setting up a company to put your portfolio into, I guess there's advice that you can be offering them around how to do that and things like that. So I guess I'm trying to understand the opportunity that you've got through your relationship managers to really help people to go through this process. Because I guess if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're going to be a very busy person. You know, we've just gone through the pandemic where I don't think the medical profession could have worked any harder, to be honest with you. And then trying to get your head around all of these sorts of things is quite a burden, isn't it? Yeah. On the lending side, I mean, it's clear we've went about building something that is simple, straightforward. For example, we're agnostic in terms of borrowing entity. So we recognize that clients don't always differentiate between their properties held in personal names and those held in limited companies. For them, it's an investment. We've looked at kind of the space and what our competitors do. We've seen that you can go onto some of the websites and there's 40 pages of criteria and you have to wade through five different types of products and they've got all 
different types of codes, etc. We believe in keeping it quite straightforward. So on the lending side, our products are built around loan to value bands. And wherever possible, we provide a single loan against multiple properties. So it just makes life easier. There's one single straightforward monthly repayment. And to touch back on your point, our expertise to add value is for these portfolio landlords because their time is more valuable than ours. I think anything that you can do to help the landlord's plight is definitely welcome because, you know, certainly when I looked at this space, what we see from banks is that they quite willingly, you know, if you can afford it, give you a mortgage, but that's about it. But, you know, as a landlord, you want to know when your rent hasn't come in on time. You want to be able to separate the expenses from income and capital expenses so that you can do your tax return easily. You want some reminders about important events like getting your gas certificate done, etc. I mean, the government is making it extremely difficult to be a private landlord. What they're trying to do is professionalize the industry, right? But I don't think that should be flushing out people that want to have buy to let. That should be about helping those people through automation, you know? Will you be looking at any of those kind of things to help? What will you do to kind of do things differently to the existing banks is my real question. Great question, Darman. I think one of the things that we're very clear on and we're working really closely with some prop tech partners about how we can help our clients in the future. You know, we're not trying to be all things to all landlords, but we can help bring that community together and using cutting edge technology, help make the regulatory boarding easier on people and reduce that. Um, I think it's a case of watch this space. We've got some announcements to come next year, right. but we're very much about how we can help our clients, experience landlords, save time and money. Fantastic. If you need any guinea pigs, right? <laughs> <laughs> you say it in jest, but you know, we're very mindful of not building something in isolation. That's largely pointless. We have a founders community that we set up about a year and a half ago that we go out to regularly and ask questions and we do interviews and we're picking up great insights from that community, many of whom are already property investors or who intend to become property investors about what irks them, what they'd like to see, how can we help? And, you know, that's all being filtered down into what we will do next and how we will deliver some of those solutions or enable those solutions to the problems that you've identified. So very much a community view, but very much a careful, studied and researched one to make sure that we don't live in an ivory tower. Dharma and I have talked about this between ourselves and to lots of other people. The bank's just missing an opportunity They've got so lost in the kind of transactional aspect of delivering products and services, they've forgotten that they need to build a relationship with customers. And it sounds like from the get-go, what you're looking to do is to build that relationship. We'll put the relationship in the control of the client. We don't do chatbots, so you'll be chatting to a human when you're chatting. And if that's good for you, then fantastic. But if you do want to, you know, you're worried about something or you want just to have a face, you're worried your security has been compromised on your account for some reason, you just want a face. And trying to find anyone you can speak to in most banks or even a telephone number, frankly, is you're hunting for treasure. And we've deliberately reverse that to say we will make ourselves super accessible in many different ways and the client can interact with us in the way they want. We suspect that, you know, 99% of the cases, it'll all be digital because it should be and it's easy and it all works. But where it, it can't or shouldn't be, then we're catering for that, we think, in a very friendly, customer-centric way. I mean, those subtle touches about just using somebody's name can start to help build relationships. I had a seller dispute on eBay, right? And I plowed through their kind of automated help 
And eventually I thought, oh, let me just ring the guys or get them to ring me. And sure enough, you can. You can have a chat session with the agent or you can speak to them. Right. And the first thing this guy said to me is, Mr. Mystery, before we start, I'd just like to say thank you for your 19 years of being a customer of eBay. That's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, you know, I was about to complain. <laughs> it took the wind out of yourselves. <laughs> it's those kinds of things that actually, you know, turn customers around, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I bank with a bank who they've just recently relaunched their app. And, you know, I'm a number. There's no addressing me by name. I mean, as it happens, I'm confused because I think they've managed to get their wireframes confused with the design and put those live. It's pretty underwhelming, frankly. So it's really good to hear that you've thought about that user experience, because as Dom says, it's the small things which matter. And, you know, the reality is, as you say, most of the time, people will be fine. But it's what you do when people are not fine that kind of really, really counts, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's just common sense that if you can help people when they're in need, they'll become massive advocates for you. But psychology of client relationships is fairly obvious when you think about it, but it came out of the surveys and the research is loyalty and people feeling that they've been taken for granted. And we all, none of us likes to feel that we're taken for granted. And we've all seen those stories, all the insurance stories where you get a better deal if you're a new customer. That really annoys loyal customers. So we've made a decision from the get-go that when you renew a fixed-term deposit with us, for example, you take out a year's fixed-term deposit and it comes up for renewal and it matures. If you stay with us and you redeploy that money in a new fixed-term deposit, for example, you'll get a better rate than a new client joining us at that time would get for the same product. And it's the same with lending, with Connors Lending. So if you do have a two-year buy-to-let and that comes to its end and you're looking around and if you keep with us, you'll get a better rate on your next product than you would have got as a new client. So rather than penalizing loyalty, we want to keep people. What I find most fascinating, just going back to the incumbents, is that I know they know this, yeah. right? I know that they know that this is an important segment because like 25 years ago, I was part of a project at Lloyds Bank where we were starting to analyze data and use data like extensively. And you know, in our research, we found that 5% of the client base earned 85% of the profit. Now, these weren't, you know, necessarily people that were wealthy. They were just people that were loyal, people that were spending more with the bank than the average customer. Typically, you know, they had their mortgage and any other loans, a credit card, a deposit, you know, they had three, four products versus other customers that, you know, on average, we had less than two products per customer, right? And what we identified was the need to have a personal banking service. And we did launch one, mm. but it's died a death. And you kind of think, well, surely that segment hasn't gone away. Well, that Lloyd story, I think, is really the common experience. People set out with great intentions and for various reasons, some of which I touched on, I think, but for various reasons, it's just with atrophied a little bit over time. Yeah, and, you know, the insights that we got were if instead of trying to sell to customers, if you just try to understand and help them, they actually bring the products to you. They'll say, oh, by the way, I've got this extra money over here. Can I bring it over so that you will look after it? You know? And then what we were seeing just by providing attention to the customer was that there was no goal put onto the relationship managers to increase revenue in the first couple of years, right? All they were tasked with was retaining the same number of customers. And actually what we saw was a growth in revenue because the attention translated into, oh, I'm getting a great service here. You know, well, I'm going to do more with you guys. So I think you're spot on in terms of addressing a need that hasn't really been addressed. Well, I 
glad for that vote of confidence, Don. It feels like we're doing the right things. But what better way to end the show than with that vote of confidence? So it's been great talking to you. If people do want to find out more about Monument, what's the best thing to do? The easiest thing to do is obviously look at the website on, on the website, which is www.monument.co. You can register with us, actually, and follow us through that. And that's a really good way not only to hear about news, but we're always going to try and give early notice of new products and services to people who have registered with us because we should. And therefore, early access or early warning of things that might be of interest. So please, I'd encourage people to do that. And we work very closely with brokers. If any of them would like to contact Connor, please do so. There's a link in the website to do that conveniently as well. And we'd love to hear from them. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. And congratulations again. It's a real achievement for the whole team. But thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing how Monument scales over the next weeks, months and years. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Dan Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.